Amen. Thank you, ladies. Great thought. Great job. We have a faithful God. <laughs> Go ahead and get in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you would, please. Deuteronomy chapter 4. I have a, uh, a little bit of a sinus infection. I am not contagious. I tested myself for COVID, and so as long as you don't come up and try to drink out of my Duke cup, we should uh, be good. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, last Sunday morning, uh, we started a new series on great truths, communicated with simple words, profound things, of course, are best understood when they are communicated through the vehicle of simplicity. When we try to communicate complex things with difficult words, they are either misunderstood or not understood at all. Uh, when it comes to the things that God wants us to be most clear on, God speaks the things that are most important clearly and simply. In fact, the most important things God repeats oftentimes for emphasis throughout the Word of God. Uh, I have a list of 220 complete verses in our King James Bible where every word in that verse has only one syllable. There are 916 verses in our Bible where uh, every word is one syllable with the exception of a name or a number, which means since there are 31,102 verses in our Bible that nearly 30% of our Bible outside of names and numbers is communicated to us in one-syllable words. I personally believe anyone's difficulty in understanding this book is far more related to their lack of effort, to their failure to attempt to learn English, our language, or their unwillingness to yield to the Spirit of God who is our teacher. And as much as we may not like to admit it, previous generations that we often look down on as being less educated, they all understood this book just fine. But after seeing a, a list of these 916 one-syllable verses, I became interested in verses where God chose to communicate important things to us with simple words. Last week we talked about God revealing the condition of the human heart in the most simple terms. Whether we like it or not, our heart is corrupted and impure. We all have a fallen nature and no amount of education can change how I can change our heart. Only Christ can change a human heart. And we talked about how denying the basic nature of our heart will cause parents to mishandle children, governments to mishandle citizens, and cause those of us to believe to carelessly handle things in our life if we deny the dark places in our own hearts. Today we arrive at another great truth communicated to us by our Creator in simple words. I want to begin by asking a question. Where can we find God? How can I find God? There are some questions that are good to ask because the answer strengthens our faith and our resolve, and there are other questions which really just produce more doubt, more confusion, and more debate rather than answers or peace. Where can I find God? How can I find God? You know, most people, and I would be one of them, believe that people find what they're really looking for. 
When we look in the animal kingdom, we think about a vulture who has a huge wingspan and soars high above the land looking for rotting flesh. In contrast to that, we think about a hummingbird whose wings beat 20 times per second and all they find are flowers and nectar. One looks for rotting flesh and it's all it finds. The other looks for sweet things and flowers and that's all it finds. I wonder what we're looking for. In fact, if you're able to stand, if you would stand this morning, please, in honor of God's Word. The title of my thought this morning is, You Can Always Find God Looking in the Right Places. You Can Always Find God Looking in the Right Places. Deuteronomy chapter 4, we begin in verse 25. Deuteronomy 4, 25. Moses here says to the people of Israel, When thou shalt beget children, and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves, make a graven image or the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations. Ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve gods, and the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou shalt seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Thank you, might be seated. By this particular time in history, Israel had been miraculously delivered from Egypt by God through Moses about 40 years earlier. They had followed the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They had followed God through the Red Sea to the base of Mount Sinai where they received instruction and then basically had wandered around for decades as God purged them of that faithless generation who had left Egypt but refused to believe God. Now as the book of Deuteronomy opens up, they stand at that time on the west side of the banks of the Jordan River with the promised land just on the east side. They had, under Moses' leadership, defeated great kings that are mentioned multiple times in the Bible, uh, Sihon and Og, many times. Who knows how terrible they were, how strong they were. It's just so significant that God mentions those kings and those defeated uh, foes multiple times. They stand now with Moses as their leader, but by this time he's very old. His leadership is nearly over, and his assistant Joshua had now been trained and preparing for many years to fill his shoes. The book of Deuteronomy records the three final sermons of Moses that God spoke through him just before his death. Now some of what we read in the book of Deuteronomy is historical and God recounts for us what had gone on for the last 40 years. Other parts of the book are a series of additional commandments as God was preparing them 
to live in the land when they would no longer on a day-to-day basis be taken care of by miraculous manna or following a pillar of cloud or fire. And thirdly, the book of Deuteronomy contains some warnings. Warnings of what would happen. And think about this, they're on the brink of the greatest perhaps accomplishment of their life. They'd been hearing about the promised land from their childhood. They'd been journeying from Egypt, talking about entering this promised land for 40 years, and now it is on just on the other side of the river, and yet God chooses this time for Moses to warn them one last time. I hope you understand that Satan never just allows anyone to continue and camp out on the mountaintop of faith. And so Moses warns them, and he begins them by warning them that their time in the land wouldn't last long. Verse 26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land, whither you go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. Ouch. This is to the people who had decided to believe. These are the people who had been faithful. These are the people who had just, with the help of God, crushed Og, the king of Bashan, and Sihon, the king of Heshbon. I'm sure as they stood there that day with all these victories under their belt and this series of spiritual success, I'm sure they thought to themselves, surely I will never go astray from Jehovah. I, my children will never turn their back on God. My grandchildren will never turn their back on God. I'm sure that's what's going through their mind. In fact, God warns them that their rebellion would cause them to be scattered and diminished in verse 27. The Lord shall scatter you among the nations. You shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. Remember, notice the word you, Y-O-U. Remember in your Bible, pronouns that start with Y, ye, you and yours are plural pronouns. Pronouns that start with T, thee, thou, and thine, they're singular. This is a warning to the nation. And then... God allowed Moses to look into the future and see a time when they would no longer be faithful followers of Jehovah like they were that day in verse 28. And there ye, notice again the plural, shall serve God's work of men's hands, wood and stone which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Listen, man has created gods and religions of all sorts. And they didn't know it at the time. God allowed Moses to see into the future, but in just one short generation, they would be turning from God to the idols of the land they conquered. They didn't know it, but down through the centuries, their offspring would split the nation into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom would be taken captive by the Assyrian Empire and the southern kingdom by the Babylonian Empire. They didn't know it, but God warned them. God warned them at a time when they didn't think this could ever happen to them. He wanted them to be more careful. God warned them at a time when it had been easy to think so much about their strength instead of grasping that what they had done 
was through God's strength. God warned them so that they never would forget that God blesses the faithful and obedient, but judges those who willfully defy Him. In fact, in the midst of this warning of them as a group, notice in the simplest terms this personal opportunity that they would have because the pronoun now is going to change from the plural you to the singular thee. And though the nation would be judged, there would always be opportunities for individuals. Notice in the simplest terms, the hope God gives them in verse 29. All one silver words, but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Notice the simplicity of this hopeful statement. Simple words. One syllable. No complex questions like, what does it mean to corrupt yourself? Or what does it mean that God will cause you to utterly perish? Just a hopeful truth spoken in simple words. And in effect, God says that even when the judgment, my judgment has fallen upon your offspring for their idolatry and their disobedience, even though I will be forced to judge them and scatter them and diminish them, any individual among them who will seek me with all their heart and soul, they will find me. The California gold rush began in January of 1848, uh, a man named James Marshall found gold at Sutter's Mill in Coloma, California. It's estimated that 300,000 people traveled west in an attempt to become rich mining for gold. Living in New York was a man named Hiram Pierce. He lived with his wife, Sarah, and seven children. He was a blacksmith. And when he and Sarah uh, read about how gold had been found in California, they decided that he would leave to try to find gold. He took their savings and purchased equipment, and there in California, he barely found enough gold with that equipment to pay those who worked for him. Back home, Sarah had to sell the blacksmith shop. She had no money. Hiram didn't send her any, and after failing on his own, Hiram decided to work for a mining company where he and 12 other men spent $3,000, which was a lot at that time, to dig a 700-foot canal to find gold there. They didn't find any. He moved back to New York, empty-handed. He returned to be a blacksmith. Hiram sought gold with all his heart and with all his soul, but he never found it. In contrast to that, everyone and anyone who will seek God with all their heart and all their soul will always find Him because He promised that He would be found of anyone who seeks Him with all their heart and soul. Hear me when I say this morning our Creator isn't hiding from anyone who wants to find Him. He is not making Himself or His witnesses scarce because He's shy or wants people to stay away. In fact, the true and living God, He wants people to find Him. In fact, He wants that so much that it was God Himself who sought Adam and Eve when they were hiding from Him there behind fig leaves in the garden. All they needed to do 
was looked at God. It was God Himself who sought mankind when He had the Lord Jesus Christ born in a manger outside of the capital city of Jerusalem in a little area, a little town called Bethlehem. That was God seeking man, and all man needed to do was turn to Christ. It was God Himself seeking mankind when Christ sent the apostles and first generation of believing people into the world of that day. The world into which he sent them was a religious world. The world in which he sent them was a world that was doing its own thing, had its own plan, living its own life. And yet God sought them through the apostles and first Christians. All they needed to do was look to Christ. Listen, if you're saved here today, God first sought you. And you decided, I will seek Him. See, because God seeks sinners, people in places that you never thought you would be, can find God if you seek Him with all your heart. What I'd like to do this morning is first just to make some observations and applications of this great truth. Please first go in your Bible to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Here's number one. For people to find God, they must stop looking in the wrong places to find Him. For people to find God, they must stop looking in the wrong places to find Him. Uh, many years ago, we were on vacation in Florida. We were in a, a third uh, level uh, condominium with a balcony, and uh, I was missing my car keys. And I thought one of the little children that was uh, with us, that was with some friends uh, that we had went down there with, I would have swore that he threw those keys over the balcony into the beach. And I spent all kinds of time looking in the sand for those keys. I didn't find them until about 15 years later. I found them in a suitcase pocket. It would not have mattered how long or how sincerely I looked for those keys in that beach sand. They were not there. Listen, God is not inside you waiting to be found. We have a fallen nature. Our heart is corrupted. God is not inside every human being. Listen, you can sit in a yoga posture and chant mantras until you're hoarse looking for God inside you, but you will never find the God of the Bible that way. Now, you might find spiritual deception that way, but you will never find the God of the Bible. And for anybody within the sound of my voice who thinks that stuff is spiritually innocent, you're showing yourself to be no wiser than a young child playing in the street, pretending that there's no danger while you ignorantly play. Listen, it doesn't matter to the devil why you're doing it. Not only is God not inside you waiting to be found, God is not in our institutions of higher learning or government. Listen, He was expelled from there a long time ago. Most of our prominent universities began actually as institutions to train men and women for ministry. Yeah, Harvard, Yale, Brown, all those universities. Now they are literally the hotbed of anti-God and anti-government. 
Listen, if you're looking for God, you will never find Him in a college-level philosophy class. If you're looking for God, you'll never find Him in your world's religion class taught by some ungodly professor. Uh, in, in fact, anybody teaching those classes, if they actually took a biblical viewpoint on any issue of any importance, they would be shouted down. Are you seeking God because you want to know how to be saved? You will never find Him within yourself or an institution. Are you seeking God because you're saved and you want to know what to do next? You will never answer that question in yourself. In fact, in the simplest terms, God promises to be found by those who seek Him with their heart. But we must look in the right places, which gets us to number two. Number two, for people to find God, they must stop looking for Him in nature. Notice in Romans 1.20, it says, For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. In other words, you can clearly see the invisible things of God in the creation. Notice they are understood, being understood by the things that are made. Even His eternal power and Godhead. So by the things that are made, you can understand the power of God and the triune nature of God, the Godhead, says so that they are without excuse. In nature, you can see that God exists. In nature, you can see there's great power of God. In nature, you can see the threefold nature of our Creator, but you will never find God in creation. Many look at nature and think they're looking at God. That nature somehow over long periods of time and chance created itself and somehow the beauty and complexity that characterizes all of nature today just happened. I mean, listen, how, how can you not pause and admire the beauty and complexity of the human ear or the human eye? And listen, you have a lot more faith than I do to believe that that just somehow happened from some dot on the top of an amoeba. Who can't stop and admire the beauty and complexity of a coral reef? Microscopic world of bacteria, viruses, and cells of all, all sorts. Who can't stop and admire the beauty and majesty of our planet with its magnetic poles that repel solar things and other types of things that would hurt us, our liquid water, our solar system with gas giants like Jupiter and fireballs like Mercury. And that's just one system among a hundred billion stars in our galaxy. Who can't stop and admire that stuff? Who can't stop and admire the complexity of a DNA molecule whose chemical information gives all the instructions from the womb and conception all the way to adulthood? Who can't admire that? In fact, it's so beautiful, so complex, so amazing that the Bible says the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And any human being who lives their life as if there is no God will be without excuse on Judgment Day where each and every one of us will give an account of ourselves to God for what we did with Christ and then what we did with our life. And though all creation bears witness to God's existence, God's power, and His threefold nature, creation is groaning and corrupted. There isn't just beauty in our creation. There is terrible injustice and cruelty. Listen, there was no justice to the cruelty caused by 
Hurricane Ian. If you've ever been down in Florida when there was a red tide and everything is floating up as that bacteria indiscriminately killed everything, that does, what does that tell you about God? Listen, if the injustice in nature as a killer whale mercilessly plays with a baby's sail, if that isn't enough, look at the cruelty of man to his fellow man. If you're looking to find God in nature or in creation, listen, there's plenty of beauty and complexity to bear witness to Him being there, but there's nothing really to bear witness of His character. You can't find God in creation. There is no big bang outside of God saying, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. You can't find God in creation. There is no such thing as a single cell creature becoming a seal and then a sealer. Unfortunately, so many worship nature instead of nature's God. And they have their faith in evolution instead of a heavenly father. And many in our day today follow the pattern described a few verses later in verse 25 of Romans 1 where it says who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Listen, you and I would live in a day when the creature is worshiped, not the creator. To most people, man is God. Nature is God. Education is God. Listen, only God is God. And those who try to find God in nature or in the creation will not find Him because He is higher and above His creation. Are you seeking God this morning because you want to know how to be saved? You'll never find Him just in the sunrise or sunset. Are you seeking God this morning because you're saved and you want to know what to do next? You'll never find the answers in the stars. In fact, in the simplest of terms, God promised to be found by those who seek Him with their heart. But we must look in the right places. Which brings up a good question. Where are the right places? Please, lastly, go in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> Am I the only person who has sinus trouble this time of year? Just be glad if you're somebody like me who has sinus trouble. You don't have to speak 40 minutes a week, four times a week. I thank God for the voice I have. And my wife isn't always happy about it. But that gets us to our last thing. Number three, for people to find God, we must look for Him where He may be found. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said, Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Isaiah 55, 6. Because there is a place where the Lord may be found. There is a time when He is near. Notice what Paul says here, and he's going to give us three ways to find God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. So it's for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. First place you can find God is in preaching. 
Preaching Christ. Preaching the Bible. Verse 6. It says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts. There's a second place you can find God shining in the hearts of those who believe and follow Him. Notice he says, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And there's a third place you can find Him in the face of Jesus Christ. We may not like it, but it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It says 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. We may not like it, but Titus 1.3 says, God hath manifested His Word through preaching. It is absolutely essential that we have preaching. Not me preaching myself, not me preaching the latest events, uh, preaching Christ, preaching the Word of God. And so first, if we want to find God, we must turn to the Bible with an open and prayerful heart. By the way, if you're looking for God, I would start in the Gospel of Matthew. The first book of the New Testament, I would just go right there. I would bow your head and I would say something like this. Oh, Lord, I want to know you. Please teach me. Listen, the Bible is not like any other book. It's not like any other religious book. It is not like any other secular book. This book is the Word of God. It is 100% accurate on every issue on which it speaks. You want to know what happened in the beginning? In this book, you'll find out. You want to know how it's all going to end? Get in this book, you'll find out. Listen, we live in a world who's today fearful of how it's going to end, and they just look around them and they see so many things crumbling, and they say, where is all this going to go? I can tell you where it's going to go. It's in this book. You want to know what happens after death? It's in this book. You want to know how to be forgiven and live forever? It's in this book. You want to know what God is like or what God wants from your life? It's in this book. Uh, listen, listen, you and I don't get to make up answers to those kinds of questions and have them be true because we believe them. This book is truth, and when God says something, you can bank on it, whether it was thousands of years in the past or thousands of years in the future. Our God, our Creator, lives outside of time, and He is 100% accurate. You say, well, everybody says the Bible means different things. Well, yeah, they do. But I'll tell you what, you go fish in a pool of people that believe the Bible to be the Word of God and believe the Bible to literally say what it means in its historical context, just like Jesus and Peter and Paul use the Bible, and there is almost no disagreement in that pool about any key issue. None. The fact of the matter is, is if you're using that as an excuse, you don't really want to know. You don't find truth just casually looking for it, not really wanting to find it. You find God in truth by seeking it with all your heart, seeking it with all your soul. It's got to be something you're risking saying, you know what, I might find something that's contrary to the way I want to live. And most of you have heard this, but many years ago before I was saved, my spiritual journey began with a guy in college in my fraternity who challenged me to read the Bible for myself. And he sold me a Bible. 
And I didn't really understand it at the time, but I had a hungry heart. I wanted to, I, I wanted to find something that mattered. I read the New Testament twice and the first 10 or 12 books of the Old Testament twice. And because I was praying and I wanted to know, God showed me two things. He first showed me that there were lots of warnings about false prophets that I needed to be careful who I listened to. And the second thing he showed me was something that Jesus said when he said, if the blind lead the blind, shall they not both fall in a ditch? And you say, Brother Wally, you read the the Bible, all that, as a lost person, and that was your takeaway? Yep. By the way, it doesn't matter that that's not the takeaway you would have had. What matters is that I was interested in God, and God was interested in me. It was just at that very time when a guy at work invited me to church to play softball. Listen, are you looking into the pages of this great book with all your heart? Are you seeking God? Are you seeking truth? Listen, no one who's seeking God with all their heart is not reading this book. Don't tell me you're seeking God with all your heart and then this book sits like this on your shelf all all week long. Don't don't tell me you want to know truth and this thing sits just like that uh, on your card dash till you bring it back in the church the next time you come. Listen, you're not looking for God. In the simplest terms, God said that He would be found by anyone who seeks Him with all their heart and all their soul and the first place we find Him is here. The second place we find God when we want to find Him is in the faithful followers of Jesus. We read how the light of Christ shining inside of a believer. And God uses faithful followers of Jesus who have Christ shining in their life, uh, in their life to help us find God. Do you ever pray for God to bring the right people in your life? Do you ever actually look to someone whose life following Christ is something you might aspire to be or have. I say this all the time, but I wish believers would stop looking to national figures or blogs written by people they don't know. Listen, I know personally Christian counselors who counsel people about their marriages and children who don't have good marriages and don't handle their children well. You know how, I mean, think about it. If you come to Bible Baptist Church, you not only hear the messages that go out from here, you have to put up with me. See, see what that means is that myself and all the other spiritual leaders here, on a weekly basis, we are trying to balance grace and truth as we handle situations of all sorts. And then you're watching us do that with partial information. And then what you're doing is you're judging the way we handle it based on partial information and falling in love instead with people from a distance who are not making any decisions that affect you at all. Have you ever thought about that? Listen. 
I want to thank God for people God placed in my life when I was a new Christian who were just patient with me, who had good marriages, who handled their children well, who were faithful to Christ, who were not focused on secondary things. They were focused on Jesus, and God used them to help me. Listen, there are people all over this room. Many of you have parents and grandparents who you know their imperfections and you refuse to learn from what's good about them because you're focused on the wrong stuff. There are all kinds of followers of Jesus who have Christ's light shining through their life. You can see their faith You can see their joy. You can see the way they handle difficult situations. You can see the things that go on in their life. And you can see them still with their face steadfast and unmovable towards the things of God. And that is one of the ways you find God. By the way, uh, on occasion, God just uses the Bible. But most often, He uses the Bible and someone helping us with it. You remember the story in Acts chapter 8 about the Ethiopian eunuch. He's riding down the desert in his chariot, reading Isaiah 53, the clearest chapter in the Old Testament about the crucified Christ, and he's reading it, and God sends Philip to help him out. And he, Philip says, hey, understand us how what thou readest? He said, how can I except some help me? And Philip began at the same scripture, preached unto him Jesus. So I'm going to learn everything myself, you proud thing. Why do you refuse to learn? Do you really want to learn all of life's lessons the hard way? You want to find God? You can find Him in the Scriptures. You can find Him and learn of Him and know Him from the lives of faithful followers of Jesus. Listen, there's a lot of those in this place. And many of you, you have others that are in the circle of your life who aren't in this place. Listen, let God teach you and instruct you and find God and find truth from them. And the last one, remember, you want to find God? Look into the glorious face of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. When you look at His eyes, you see the eyes of God. I I love that Christmas song where it says, when Mary kissed Her baby, she kissed the face of God. I I love that. It's because of Jesus' gentle nature, because of His loving kindness and compassion, we very often don't treat Him with the level of respect and magnitude and majesty of who He really is. You want to know how you handle your family? Look in the face of Jesus. How do you handle his? You want to know how to handle your enemies? You want to find God and how to handle your enemies? Look how Jesus handled his. You want to find God in any area of your life? Look at the life of the Lord Jesus. Every other one of us are imperfect images of a perfect Savior. In fact, this morning, if you want to be saved... You must look to Jesus Christ. There is no other Savior. There is no other way. Christ suffered for your sins, died for your sins, 
rose again from the dead, and today reaches out to you and says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If you're here and you're saved, you know Christ is in your life. You've found God as far as finding God to be saved and forgiven. Have you found God when it comes to finding God for what He wants in your life? For what God wants from you next? What does God want from a 12-year-old? What does God want from someone who's 90? What does God want from someone who is in the strength of of, of life, both mentally and physically? What, what, What does God want? You want to know? Preaching of the Scriptures. The light shining through faithful believers. And in the face of Jesus. And you'll know. You quietly stand.